What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Made in Mercis. Thank you for being here. If you've made it to episode three after listening to the first two, thank you. Your support means a lot to me. And if you're new here, please go check out the first two episodes. I'm sure you'll like them too. So this might be the longest intro I'll ever do, but here goes. Shout out to Kingdom Kill. Today's episode is with a multi-talented, multi-named athlete slash podcaster slash DJ slash everything else. I don't know why he doesn't have a Wikipedia page, but I'm going to roll the list off for all the great stuff that he does. So he's a UK-based American footballer who plays for a London-based team as well as for GB. He's a podcasting extraordinaire and is the host of the X's and O's podcast, which was nominated for the Best Sports Podcast in 2020 at the British Podcast Awards. And I owe him massively for all his help in setting this podcast up. Please do go check out his X's and O's podcast. I'll link it in my IG. He goes by many identities, but his most famous is for being the voice behind them D-Pass Boys to Men intros. Baby, you know we come to the end of the road. Nah, for real, for real, it is with great pleasure. I welcome to the podcast my friend, my broski, Jason Lenke. Welcome to the show, bro. Yo, what's happening, brother? <laughs> that introduction was long, <laughs> but... Um... I appreciate it. I think I need to, after hearing that, I need to stop juggling so many plates and potentially be a master of one rather than a jack of all traits. But to be fair, I, I enjoy doing it all. But yeah, thank you very much for having me on the show, man. Um, yeah, I might have helped you, but yeah, the, the journey for you to start on and, and run with the baton is, is all in your hands now, man. And so far, so good, man. I've, I've definitely had to listen to the podcast and it's, it's going better than I even I thought it would be. Um, and I'm really enjoying it and look forward to hearing more. Thank you, man. Now, your your support, obviously, from the beginning, from day one, it wouldn't have been for you if I hadn't listened to your advice and stuff. So, now it's sick that you're here now and we get to have this conversation. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm a little bit nervous, a little bit shy, but um, <laughs> again, like I'm, I'm excited because it's it, what you're doing is coming from a genuine place and I'm really excited to hear more stories outside of mine and even just like, obviously, you said you sent me a brief as to what we were discussing. It sort of triggered loads of different thoughts about um, my past and, and history and things that have made me the man I am today. So now I'm excited for it. Well, that's exactly what we want to do, man. So uh, let's get straight into it, bro. Cool beans. What's your background? Where are you from ethnically? And where did you grow up? Cool. Um, <laughs> my background, um, a lot of people see me and they're a little bit confused. Some people say I look African. Some people say I look Caribbean, but um, I'm, I'm both. So I'm like half Nigerian, half Bayesian. Uh, my mum is magic. Yeah, I know. I'm not exotic. A lot of, I don't think that I've met anyone with that mix. And a lot of people have said the same. There's not many people with that mix. Um, but it's my mum that's Nigerian. Um, my pops um, is Bayesian. Um, Hold on, for the people that don't know who Bayesian is. Yes. Oh, Bayesian means it's, it's someone from Barbados. So yeah, I'm half Nigerian, half Bayesian. So Nigeria and Barbados is the yeah, mix. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm... Um, um, I know people. You know, people say first generation and second generation. Mm. I like to think I'm one point five. Okay. Um, because yeah, because my mum was actually born um in Nigeria and schooled there for a bit before moving um across to the UK. So okay, but she's got a little bit of of both worlds. And yeah, so like it, realistically, I'm second generation, but it doesn't feel like it because um she done a lot of her growing up in. In, in London, East London to be precise. Um, and yeah, that's where I was born. So I was, I was born in Newham General um, in East London. Um, we lived in West Ham for a bit before sort of settling in, in Canning Town. Okay. Um, and that's where I've been all my life to be fair. So East London, born and bred. And even though my ethnicity is obviously half you know, um, 
African Caribbean. Um, I, I, I feel like I, I can't ignore that I'm British if that makes sense because it's, yeah. it's a lot. Of, a lot of the time, it's all I know. And even though my house might be in Nigeria, the moment I step out of it, I'm definitely um, in, definitely in East London. So yeah, I feel like it's it's, it's difficult to to say that you're not British if that makes sense. Even though the world tries to make you seem or feel otherwise, I don't think you can sort of park that that part of you. And that's just my, that's just my two points mm-hmm. on that anyway. But I'm very pr- very proud of my ethnicity. Um, wear both legs, and I guess where Mother Dearest is is Nigerian. It definitely means my household is Nigerian because even though men like to think they're the head of the house, I feel <laughs> like she she <laughs> she definitely wears the trousers in my household. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's that's a little bit about me, man. So of so. the two, right, the Bayesian background, the Nigerian background. Yes, you just mentioned obviously your mum wears the trousers. But generally, in terms of like your upbringing and in terms of like your background, do you yeah. do you find like you're closer to one culture? Um, I think growing up, I definitely was. I think growing up, I was definitely a bit more in touch with my um, with Nigeria, simply because, like I said, my my house was Nigeria, so the food we'd eat was Nigerian. The the, the movies and TV shows we'd watch Nigerian, um, and where there's so many tongues and, and languages in Nigeria, I was. All, all, all I would hear if that, if that makes sense. So yeah, yeah, like, yeah. when my mum was on the phone to her siblings or, or family and friends or watching her shows, um, um, we, we speak Yoruba, we're from, we're from the Yoruba region of Nigeria or tribe of Nigeria. Um, and that's, that's all I'd hear. So for me, it was definitely growing up um, a Nigerian and I knew I was growing up Nigerian when um, um, I'd, 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 I'd get friends and obviously ask them where they come from, etc. And they say they're Nigerian, and the, the sort of up, up, upbringing was, was was the same sort of thing. So, yeah, um, I wasn't, I wasn't. Well, I was very familiar with getting, um, or being on the receiving end of a slap um, <laughs> <laughs> when I was growing up. And for me, even though a lot of people say it's African, for me it was it was very much something that was um, unison amongst like my my Nigerian friends. And, and family so that's 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 how I thought I grew I, I grew up and then when I got to my sort of teen teen years I'd say maybe sort of GCSE times mm. I think that's when I started realizing that I was a little bit more than Nigerian because the things that I wasn't getting away with when I was younger I was getting away with a lot more now because yeah that's when the the, the British element of, of, of my or the British and Caribbean element of my of my family started to sort of kick in so yeah I, I, I don't know. I feel like I was brought, I was brought up Nigerian. That's where a lot of the morals came from. And this this is not to say pe- people from other parts of the world aren't don't have morals, but I feel like a lot of my morals stem from the fact that my mom's Nigerian and she tried to bring us up as Nigerian people to understand our culture. Because I feel like, especially in the Caribbean and and in British, not to say they haven't got culture, but I don't think it's is as deep or is as respected as much as it is in a Nigerian household, in my opinion. So yeah, that that that, that was that upbringing for me. Yeah, I hear that. You mentioned uh, morals, right? Yeah. So what morals specifically would you say, like, you can think back as a kid and remember, oh, my mum said this to me or my mum said that to me, that, like, really resonated with you? For me, the biggest one that resonated for me and still resonates with me now and something that I want to really instill into, um, you know, my my potential kids and grandkids is... Inshallah. um, Yeah, yeah. Thank you, brother. Um, Is um, respect. Yep. Uh, I think that's a massive, massive, massive thing. And mm-hmm. again, I can only speak from, from Nigerian slash Caribbean culture. It's a, it's a massive, massive, massive thing. Not just respect for yourself and family and friends, but respect for your elders. Um, I think it was like, 
I know like a lot of people will turn around and say, oh, like in order to um, get respect, you need to give respect. For me, it, it, it didn't matter if you if you was older than me, um, it was something that was instilled in me to sort of be respectful to, to, your, to your elders sort of thing. And we call everyone, regardless of whether they're family or, or, or not family, auntie slash uncle. And I'll never, I'll never forget one time being with one of my Caucasian friends and yeah, he was he he saw like his auntie and called on her first name. It wasn't even like even like Auntie Jane, it was just a Jane. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> like, like that to me, that was crazy. It was like, whoa, Jane? Like, I, I, even I can't do that. Like, and I, I and I called my my um my Caucasian um friend's mum, auntie, and like he was like, You don't have to call her auntie, just call her that. I was like, nah, man. Yeah, like, I called her Jane. We don't, yeah, yeah, we don't we don't we don't do that where I'm from. I have to call her auntie. And even she, and she was even like, whoa, like your mate is very respectable sort of thing. Mm. And made me think, actually, hold on, if you think that's respectable, why is it why is it so opposite like in, in your culture to just call your elders by a first name basis? So yeah, for me that that's something that resonates with me um a lot. And I know I mentioned the respect for elders a lot, but I think it's just across the board to be fair. If, if you're mm. respectable to people, if you're nice to people, do you know what I mean? They're gonna always hold you in a higher regard. So yeah, that's that's one of the biggest things that was instilled in me when I was younger. Nah, I hear that, man. I think that's um, that's a big part of of um, I've found anyway. Like in ethnic backgrounds, is that our upbringing. I'm again saying what you said in terms of that doesn't mean other people don't have these morals, but mm-hmm. it's really instilled in us from a young age respect and for elders. Like from from my Bangladeshi background, Bengali culture is all about that. Like even to the point, it gets a bit nuts sometimes. Like my grandma like an example of respect right is if we're mm-hmm. if we're chilling in her living room which is a like normal situation there'll mm-hmm. be like 10 15 of us in her living room all just jamming and like my yeah. dad will be sitting on one sofa and i'll be sitting on the opposite side of the room right yeah. she were like if i'm pointing my feet towards my dad she'll yeah. tell me off she'll like why are you pointing your feet towards your dad that's rude and i'm like yeah. what and she's like that's don't you know that's rude and yeah. then she'll look at my dad like, why haven't you taught him that that's rude? <laughs> yeah, I know and, the feeling. And then my dad's catching heat and I'm like, oh, damn. So I just fold my legs <laughs> up. I'm like, sorry, pops, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to get you in trouble. But like, yeah. it's that kind of stuff that like really, you know, is strong, I find in, in you know, and it's, it's similar in our cultures. So it's funny. Yeah. And then you mentioned the first name thing. And yeah. uh, I remember the first time I went to my father-in-law's house mm-hmm. and my, my <laughs> brother-in-law my brother-in-law called his dad by his first name and my jaw dropped my jaw (laughs) dropped I was like this guy wants a beating in my life in my life I've never ever ever referred to my parents by their first name and I could never imagine the reaction what weapon would be used (laughs) as a backlash for using do you know what I mean like the ultimate I can I agree with you. I could be forty, and I don't think I'd even I'd even do that. I'd still be mum and dad to me, sort of thing. But um, on on that though, I'd, mm. I'd be very interested and intrigued to know what you call your 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 parents indoors. What, like, how do you address them? So check this. So initially, during mm-hmm. the first like kind of few months, I guess it was mm-hmm. it was by their name, but it was I found it so uncomfortable. I found it yeah. so uncomfortable. And then one day, um, my in laws came around to my parents' house for dinner. Mm-hmm. And as you can imagine, that was a mad occasion. Bear culture mixes going on there. Yeah, and um, my dad said to me, you can't call them that. They're your in-laws. You have to call them something else. You have to call them mum and dad. Because that's what we do in our culture, is you yeah. call your in-laws mum and dad. Mum and dad, yeah. And I agree but, with it, to be fair. 
Yeah, so do I. So do I. I think it's very respectful. And so now I call my mother-in-law Ma, yeah. and I call my father-in-law P. What a sniffle pops. It's like it's like kind of pups, but then I think he has a nickname that's P as well. So it kind of just rolled in well. So I've just yeah. called him P, and my mother-in-law's Ma, and then obviously I call my mum and dad. Um, Abu is my dad, and Ammu is my mum. So it doesn't cross over. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, no I heard that. Do you ever get? I know this is about this isn't about me, but do you ever get a bit wary of the, the culture clash when it comes to obviously bringing up your son? I.e., uh, his aunties and uncles from his mum's side. Mm. Uh, are you expecting your son to call them by their first name or call them by auntie and uncle? And obviously on your side, I, I, I assume it's going to have to be an auntie and uncle thing because. Yeah, your parents are gonna probably be like, "Yo, sad, <laughs> what's happening to our, 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 our grandchild?" You better check your kid. Yeah. So uh, no, do you know what? It's something actually we speak about quite often. In that, mm. for me, like we just said, like it's so so important that they have that um, that link to that respect, and yeah. it really really is strong for me because I call all my uncles and aunts, uncle and aunt. And then I might use their name in with the uncle because there's so many of yeah. them, yeah. but like it's still there. It has to be. I would never just call them by their name. So yeah. when I was speaking to my wife about it and I was like, yo, we're going to have to talk about this because this is a serious thing for me. To her, it's not at all. But to me, it was like, man, this is so important. So we, well, I basically agreed. I'm not going to lie. I agreed <laughs> that there'll be uncle and aunt with their names attached. Which is fair, I think. Because it still has that element of, like you said, respect, even though their names attached. Because even I do it sometimes, you know, auntie this and uncle that. So, but at least that sort of title's there. So, yeah, I still got that element of respect. So, I, I hear you on that one. The mad one is, though, for siblings, right? Mm-hmm. So, in Bengali culture, my, so I'm the eldest brother. So, all my younger brothers call me big brother. Mm-hmm. They don't ever call me by my name. Oh, wow. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was talking to my wife and she was like, you're not going to get our kids to do that, are you? And I was like, hell yeah, I am. They're going to call so. my they're gonna call my boy Big Bro. And then they were, she was like, nah, they're not, they're not, they're not. So to be honest, obviously, I've only got the one kid, but when the time comes, there'll only be one way to find out, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, they're always, but I, you, know, you know why I think you're going to let it go? Because we have something similar in Nigerian culture where, where if you've got an older sibling, yeah, before you say their, their first name, you call them, for example... If your older brother's Charles, for example, you say brother Charles, you know what I mean? So mm. all the younger siblings should say brother Charles. If the oldest sister's name is is Naomi, for example, you say sister Naomi or um if you love that young, sort of thing. But in my household, that sort of was a little bit scrapped because okay. it, it's not that it's weird, but it's it's weird because you don't need to have that to know that you've got respect for your sibling, if that makes sense. Mm. And the last thing you want is to instill that at such a young age that outside they're like, oh yeah, brother this and brother that and sister this and sister and you know what I mean. So it just wasn't wasn't um it, yeah it just it just wasn't was it wasn't wasn't I think sometimes you have to realize that when you're in a different culture sometimes you have to take in elements of that culture and like I said earlier I still resonate with being British so yeah there are elements of their culture that we naturally took in and I think that was one of them where it's like it doesn't stop you from having respect from your sibling if you don't. If you remove that title, but aunties and uncles, that that's definitely there. But yeah, I feel like amongst siblings, it doesn't need to, it doesn't necessarily need to be there because there's not a hierarchy. Your siblings, <laughs> aren't there, so. obviously, because I'm at the top of the hierarchy, that's why I benefit. Yeah, so, <laughs> I feel you. I, I feel you. I'm the, I'm at the top of mine as well. To be fair, so I definitely know the feeling. Definitely know the feeling. But um, one thing I said earlier that I, I definitely want to stress here is the fact that 
even though I mentioned this whole British thing, yeah, I don't want people to get carried away and think, oh, like he's a, he's a proper like British lad. Nah, that wasn't the case. <laughs> I might have been British outside of the four walls of my house, yeah. But the moment I get into this house, yeah, I I, I go by Nigerian <laughs> Nigerian laws and rules. So yeah, yeah man, there, there were things that sometimes I you, you know naturally in school you'd be like, oh yeah, like like someone said they that they done this last night, they done that, and I'm thinking, what the hell? <laughs> I try to do that in my household, yeah. Me and the belt will be very much acquainted, like very much so. So, yeah, like even though I say all of those things, I definitely wasn't living like a lot of my 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 friends at school. And you don't mind to think I'm talking about the Caucasians. I'm talking about the Caribbeans as well. So, yeah, man, <laughs> counterparts as well. They they got away with things that I could even I couldn't even dream of trying in my household. So, so yeah, my house is definitely. But again, like I said, as as I as I get older, the the, the the British and and the Nigerian and even the Caribbean began to entwine. So yeah, things that I I couldn't get away with when I was when I was my sort of my sister's age now, mm. and definitely get away with. But I think that's because my mum's come to terms with the fact that yeah, like we're not in, we're not in Nigeria and I can't continue to dictate in, in the Nigerian way. And <laughs> have to mix and mix and match the both. And you're a grown man now, innit? She can't get the belt out no more. Oh, you'd be surprised. Well, not to me, but you'd be surprised. I've, 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 I've heard grown men definitely get in the belt in other Nigerian households, man. So, Do you know yeah. what, right? When I was growing up, um, I don't know if my mum would be happy with me saying this, yeah? So they never hit me. They never hit me, like, hard ever. It was some, I don't think my mum ever hit me, yeah? But my dad would be a little slap on the wrist. But yeah. it was the fear before the hit that used to kill me. And we used to always say, yeah? We used to play this game called Need for Speed, Most Wanted. And basically, there's a bit when you have to get away from the police. Yeah, I remember. You have to like hide. And then once you hide from the police and they, they can't see you anymore, you go into cool down mode. Yeah, so we used to always that. say, yeah, when my mom used to chase us, she used to chase us with a slipper or like a twig <laughs> or like some random object that she could find. Yeah, Whatever she would chase she could us. Find. Whatever yeah. she could find, arms reach, she'd go straight and get that and then she'd chase us and we'd always run into the bathroom and we used to lock say to each door. other going to cool down going to cool down yeah. and then we'd lock the door and stay in there for like 15 minutes and then come out mom are we all right yeah and she'd be like yeah it's fine oh, i was man. the same i was the same but i remember <laughs> one time i pissed her off so much yeah that cool down time didn't even work man it didn't work it was, like, was raging wait. outside yeah i'm gonna wait i'm gonna wait i'm gonna wait i'm gonna wait <laughs> all half an hour one hour later i was like you know what yeah so one, some of us, one of us, gonna have to give up because, and I don't think it's gonna be her. So I just have to firm it and be like, okay, I'll, I'll only open it, yeah. If you promise we can have, we can talk it out. Like, let's have a conversation like grown adults. So yeah, man. Um, and like I say, you could be like any age and, and still get licks. Obviously, not in my household, but I remember being in. I went to Nigeria in December um, for Christmas, and it was the first time I've gone in a long time. And yeah, I was seeing, I was definitely seeing grown men getting licked up and down. And obviously, I don't, don't, don't know what they've done. It could have been anything. But yeah, I was definitely seeing grown men getting licked up and down. What, and by their parents? Parents, elderly, whatever. There was one in particular <laughs> that I remember where there was an old lady just absolutely whacking the arse out of a man. And this is the part I was thinking about respect. I feel like, um, especially in the UK, things like that can happen, but there, there might be some form of retaliation. Mm. In Nigeria, you, you might not even know this old lady. If you've crossed her and she starts whacking you with a slipper, you're not you're not gonna raise a finger because if you raise a finger, the whole village or the whole town are gonna get onto you. Yeah, and you're, and you're and you're finished. Yeah, you're finished. It's that whole element of respect. So, yeah, man, you, you could be whatever age. If, if someone older than you is, is, is giving you a beat down, especially in Nigeria, you better take it like a man and be like, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, mom, and <laughs> pack your bags and keep going. Do you remember the first time 
that like you realized that you were stronger than your mom and then yeah, like the yeah. beating stopped hurting <laughs> yeah yeah no I, I remember the first time I, I realized I was stronger but I didn't say nothing or I didn't yeah. act on it because I knew that if I did they might increase <laughs> the power level might increase so I was like weapons know, get stay, worse stay, yeah if I stay quiet she'll continue to think it hurts where it really doesn't <laughs> so we used to get a wooden spoon on the palm of our hands um and then yeah like it just didn't just didn't hurt man <laughs> it just didn't hurt but you pretend and acted like it did just oh like, yeah oh. I used to problem my acting skills them days were much. <laughs> I'm telling you Ian Beale in EastEnders I was there oh oh yeah mum stop please Really, Trust I was me. like, this is chilling. I could be here all day. Yeah, and a lot of your fans might be listening to this and thinking, bloody hell, man, this Jason Lane guy, he really went through as a kid. But I promise <laughs> you, half the things I got licked for, I probably deserved it because I was so wayward when I was young. I mean, I was such a troublemaker. And I, just didn't, I just didn't learn. So I'd get in trouble once and I'd still go and do the same thing literally 15 minutes later. And I don't know where it was, to be fair. I don't know if it was a cry for attention or just me being plain or troublesome. But yeah, man, if, if my son was like that, I think, I'd have a send him to Nigeria or we'd be in a boxing ring every single weekend because yeah, I was I was a terror when I was young when I was younger. No man, that's um that's quality. So um one thing <laughs> I wanted to touch upon, yeah, is you mentioned that um obviously you grew up like in East London. Yeah. And um that's kind of your heritage and then you kinda of moved a little bit when yeah. you were when you were older. What was that like as a as a young black boy growing up in East London? What was the what was the atmosphere, the environment like for you then? It's weird because um, growing up, I, I went to two primary schools. Um, the first one was not as mixed as I, I wanted it to be. So um, my first ever pretend girlfriend was a Caucasian girl. Um, okay. Why is it pretend? <laughs> because I was young. I was in like year three or something like that. <laughs> um, yes. But I, I, but, I, but I remember it. And I, I remember thinking like, thinking back when I was a little bit older, thinking, why was that the case? And it was just because that's what there was, to be fair. There was not a lot of us. And I remember, I think I used to do things like that or behave like that because I wanted to feel amongst. And like, when I think back at it, to that time, it was literally a case of the, the black um, kids not being cool or in mm. part of the clique. But I didn't realise it at the time. And then I changed primary school. I went to um, a Catholic primary school and, it was a lot more diverse, and that's when I really like began to think. Actually, hold on, like I, I, I feel like with my, I'm, I'm with my people, and the people that I can relate with. And yeah. it was when I changed that to that primary school that I realised that I was acting a lot in my first primary school. And and this is like me being very woke at a young age. I was thinking, damn, like I've been stunting and pretending for a long time. Now I'm amongst people that are, have similar backgrounds and heritage to me, or bringing up to me. Like I'm, I'm having more fun. I'm smiling again, sort of thing. Yes, mm. it meant a little bit more trouble because I, I, I sort of made closer friends, and some of some of them were a little bit naughty. But I used to hang around with them. But I was again like just enjoying myself um, a lot more. Um, and then I went to a, a secondary school that was similar to my primary school, where it was very much diverse, and there was a lot of people that looked like me or grew up like me or had the same sort of background as me. Mm. So, from that perspective. It was it was rosy, it was dandy. Like I couldn't complain until I got to six form. I think is when things began to really change, and I think I began to really like realize that um, in I'm in the heart of East London, and there's going to be people out here in East London that don't really like you mm. for no other reason than the fact that you're um, a black, a black guy. Um, and it was very, uh, it was a very weird time for me and my batch of friends because we used to 
go to a very diverse school, but it was predominantly black. Mm-hmm. And around the corner from our school was um, a school, um, literally 10 minutes walk, but it wasn't an all-boys school, so I went to all-boys school. Um, the school around the corner wasn't an all-boys school, but it was predominantly Asian. Um, and it was it was crazy because you would have thought you would have got on, but we didn't. We didn't get on at all. So my school full of black guys, their school full of Asian guys. Um, yeah, they had they had they had um, some crews in that Asian school that had some really really nasty names. I don't even want to say it on your on your podcast, but we just used to clash all the time to the extent where guys were getting stabbed, people were hosp- hospitalized. Wow, there were there were fights nearly every other day on the bus. Um, people um would wake up and feel like they can't go to school or go home from school by themselves from from both schools that is by the way because they were worried wow. that if they took the wrong corner that do you know what I mean they're gonna they're gonna yeah. get hurt and and it was crazy like especially when I when I speak about it now it just sounds so crazy to me that um a group of black guys and a group of Asian guys are, are going hell for liver at each other and our Caucasian counterparts are just looking at us thinking, yeah, like they're going to kill each other. And then once they finish killing each other, we'll jump in to finish off the, the last one. So, yeah, it was, it was, thinking back of it, back it, it's just it's just crazy. And I don't think it ever happened now because I think we're a, little, we're a little bit more wiser now. But at the, at the time, it was, it was like that. And it was like that for about two, three years. Mm. Um, and then don't ignore the part where I said the Caucasian counterparts are just watching and laughing because then step in those guys and then, we started going to my my batch of friends started going to West Ham games and and the likes and West Ham's in the heart of or at the time was in the heart of Forest Gate um predominantly um white area um and they just didn't make us feel welcome either man but like especially like I had friends that used to play um football at high standards so we go and watch them for England sometimes on the 16s and the 18s and a lot of the time they play at West Ham or Fulham and some of the the, the slurs and the curses to the black guys you'd hear just out of this world wow. And then it was also around that similar time that I started beginning to realise that the police started treating us differently as well. And it always, for some reason, happened to be the white police. I remember um, being in sixth form one time and um, coming home early because I just never had no lessons and two police officers just came on and they just gave me the grilling of my life. Where are you? Why are you not in school? Blah, blah, blah. Where are you, where are you going to? Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Can we, can, we, can we look at your bag? They didn't even search me that day because... They probably could tell that I was I was petrified because my first time actually get like having mm. an encounter like that, and I was I just looked around like hold on, there's loads of other people on 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 this on this same bus. How come it's only me that that's been you know what I mean mm. um, interrogated? And then shortly after that, I had my first stop and search. I'll never forget in Stratford Station. Wow. Um, what was that like? Um, I wasn't scared because it was a time where a lot of people were getting stopped and searched. Mm. Um. But the, the, for me, the part that was disgusting was the part that where they finished and they started taking their notes and they gave me a yellow slip and I was like, "Whoa!" So this is a, this this felt like a transaction. This has felt like you have stopped me for no reason, found nothing from me, and here's my, here's your receipt for getting stopped and searched. Yeah. And that's when I was like, "Whoa!" Like <laughs> so, basically, you could be anyone. You could be the most innocent person in the world, but if they they think you look the part of someone that might be carrying something, they're gonna just go through it and at the time I think all of my friends were going through it on almost a, 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 a daily thing and remember what I said at the beginning my school was very much so um diverse but predominantly black I'd say or at least half, half mm. black and so the majority of my friends were black guys so it's it's the only thing that I, I knew I couldn't tell you right now if 
the the white students were getting stopped and searched as well. But I could definitely tell you that majority, well, not majority, all of my friends at the time were, were getting stopped. Um, and at the time, a lot of them weren't doing anything wrong. So yeah, obviously, I do know people that you know have held knives and have sold drugs and have done fraud, etc. But we were still young at the time. A lot of a lot of the people that were did end up doing that weren't doing that at the time sort of thing so it was a case of literally these innocent young guys sometimes even in our uniforms imagine that sometimes even in our uniforms yeah were, man it's outrageous like, yeah and, and it was partly embarrassing as well so you asked me how did, how did I feel like I said I wasn't scared I wasn't nervous but I was I was semi-embarrassed I was like whoa like my auntie or, or someone that I know or someone that knows my mum could be walking past and no one's no one's ever going to think oh yeah they're just searching them because they're, they're making sure that the streets are safe the first thing that comes to your mind is oh, he, he's done something wrong yeah, what's, he, what's done? he done yeah exactly that so yeah most was, was partly embarrassing that yeah that was that's that's east london for you man you, you get you get used to it since then i think i've been searched my um four or five times um had the car stopped three or four times as well um had a number of slurs said said towards me um, but I don't want to say that's East London, but it's the only place I know it could be. Like you hear, you hear these things happen all across. Yeah, um, I'm sorry to tell you, bro. It happens everywhere, man. Because exactly I'm not from East London for sure. And um, I mean, see, I'm like black either, and I can resonate with a lot of what you just said because the stop and search thing. Growing up where I did, mm-hmm. it was a very common thing, man. Like I got stopped. I got stopped when I was like between the ages of like 19 and probably man, not even 19, 17 to like 21. I must have got mm-hmm. stopped like every few months I was getting stopped around my own area though. And that's what I couldn't get. They used to always stop me around my area. And I used to be like, but I live there. And they used to be like, yeah, we have to check. And I'm like, yeah, but you know, I came out of that house. I'm going to go back to that house. <laughs> like, what's your problem? And Honestly. It, it was, ah, uh, and then a story actually that you reminded me of is, um, it's a mad story. And it, like I wrote about it in my blog actually one time. So some, some people listening to this might have already heard the story, but I went to Wimbledon, right? So I love tennis. My whole life, I've loved tennis, yeah? I'm like a massive Roger Federer fan. And it was my dream to go to Wimbledon one day. But it was always so hard to get tickets. Mm -hmm. And um, a friend at work, she was a member of the Lawn Tennis Association. So she got um, allocated tickets. So she sold me like a day pass. And um, basically, it means you can get in and you can watch like loads of different matches. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So... Anyway, oh man, I remember I took one of my friends with me and we went out shopping to buy new outfits just for Wimbledon. Because I was like, if we're going to Wimbledon, <laughs> we need to like, have to look the part. you know what I'm yeah. saying? We have to stand out because everyone else there, you know, I don't want to say the demographic's white, but the demographic's white. Yeah. So it's very predominantly based um, around that area. And, you know, it's it's common that you find that. So I was like, we need to make sure, you know, we look good. So we went out. I remember I had a fresh blazer on like a white shirt with some jeans. I had some fresh shoes on as well. My boy was like dressed similar to me. And we... Love that though. Mm, it was fresh. I'm not going to lie. And then um, we got the train there. It took about two hours to get there from where we are. Mm-hmm. And like, obviously it was a long journey. We got there like well in advance of um, the matches. And as we're walking in, right? So you walk into the grounds. There was about 50 people walking in with us, right? Random people all at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I swear to you, bro, out of all 50... We, we were like in the middle. They pulled us yeah. out of the crowd and said, excuse me, can we see your tickets, please? What the hell? And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, cool. No worries. Here's my ticket. So then they scanned it. And you can see like on the scanner, it goes green, right? 
Yeah. Scan. Okay, cool. Off you go. And then we carried on walking. And I was like, oh. I was like, initially, I was like, yeah, you know, whatever. They didn't yeah, check anyone else's yeah. tickets, but whatever, innit? So we carried on yeah. walking. We must have got, no joke, about 30 steps in to Wimbledon. And I hear running footsteps behind us. I turn around. It's the same cop. No. I swear to you, it's no. the same cop. No way. He was like, excuse me, you need to check your tickets again? And I was like, um, all right, why? And they were like, oh, we're, we've been told that there might be fraudulent tickets around. So we need to check. I said, yeah, but you already checked you us. You just checked mine. I said, you just wow. checked it and you let us go. And then he scanned it again. And obviously, what does it say this time when you scan it? Duplicate ticket. Because it's been scanned already. So he was like, you're not going to come with us. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, and my friend was getting, he was getting like heated. And I was like, yo, you need to chill because we're Asian and we're probably the only Asian guys here. And if we make any kind of fuss, they're going to make it a thing. So check this, bro. I swear to you, they took us into some little interrogation room and started grilling us. Where did you get these tickets? I was like, what? And I was like, why are you stopping us? And now they're asking us. And they were like, where did you get them? I said, from a friend. They said, we need to get a hold of this friend right now. I said, wow. "Um, Why? Everyone else gets tickets the same way. They're like, nope. It invalidates the ticket if you buy it from somebody else or they're resold. And I was like, okay, I wasn't aware of this, but fine. So I called the girl from work. And I was like, yo, the police have stopped me and basically asking to verify the location of the ticket. Now check this out, bro. Mm -hmm. She's just on the phone. There's no way to verify this information. But they were like, okay, no problem. Uh, Thanks for clarifying that with us. So I thought, no problem. They've sorted it out. We're going to go and watch our tennis. Sorry, um, you're going to need to come with us, guys. We're going to escort you off the grounds. I said, I was like, what? For what reason? And they were like, uh, your tickets aren't valid. They're duplicates. And um, we couldn't verify the information. So I was like, what? wait, wait, wait. Don't, don't, Saz, don't tell me you didn't watch the no tennis that day. So check this, bro. So then they escorted us out the grounds. And you know what? They followed us literally standing right behind. Like he was clipping my toes, clipping my heels as he was walking so close behind me. Escorting us out the ground, right? And then I was saying to my boy, this is BS. Like, I can't believe this is happening yet. I was so upset. I couldn't believe that this has happened. We've traveled yeah. all this way, this outfit, this day. Like, I'd planned for it for ages. Yeah. And then he just, he left us outside and goes, off you guys go. So I said to my boy, I said, listen, man, we've spent all this time, effort. What do you want to do? Do you want to go home? Or do you want to see if there's any tickets at the gate? He said, come, let's go to the gate. We made it all this way. Why not make a day of it? I said, yeah. all right, cool. You know what? You're right. Went to the gate and you can get like these used tickets that people have like traded in when they left. So it's like half price. So we paid for one of them. It wasn't as good as our initial ticket, but it was something. So we bought it. We went in second go, right? So we get in this time, no problem. We start watching some tennis and I'm sitting there. And I remember it was on like court two, which is a nice court still. And it was like a, I I can't remember if the players were, there were some, some many guys, but they were playing and I, yeah. I sat there and I, I just turned to my friend. I was like, I want to go home, man. I don't, don't, don't blame me, man. And he was like, me too, man. I was like, I'm not enjoying this at all. Like, I have no desire to be here. And like, I'm upset and I feel, I feel really down. And like, I, I walked out with my head held down and it was, it was proper embarrassing, man. I felt like I just been like victimized was an understatement. I felt like literally I was not a citizen of the country. I was not a citizen of this planet, yeah. bruv. I felt like a complete alien to them. About the scum of the earth, man. Honestly. And then check this out, right? I walk out. We walk out of Wimbledon, literally come out of the gates. 
Guess who's there? That same cop. He goes, what are you guys still doing here? And I said, what? And I turned, and this time I was getting heated, yeah? I said, what? Yeah. And he was like, um, well, aren't you supposed to be, like, didn't I escort you off the grounds? I said, yeah. And then we bought some tickets and got back in. So what's your problem? And then he was like, well, I just thought, you know, you would have gone by now. And I said, well, we went in legitimately the first time and we went in legitimately the second time, but we wanted to watch some tennis. So what's it to you? And he was like, no, nothing, nothing, nothing. And uh, I looked at my boy and I was like, I can't believe this, man. And we walked to the station. Bro, when I got to the station, I turned around. My guy's at the station gate watching us get on the train. And then I was like, do you know what? I'm never coming back here. And to this day, bro, I've never watched Wimbledon since. And it breaks my heart every single year when it comes around because it reminds me of that time. And wow. Oh, it's so, do you know what? It's so hurtful, man. The whole situation, the tennis, the like the environment, everything now reminds me of that. And I can't lose it. Every year Wimbledon comes around, I relive that whole experience. Oh, so anyway, sorry, man. I'm very very sorry to hear that, man. That's that's not nice. And you know what? I think the the bit that hurt me the most was hearing that last part where you said that every time Wimbledon comes around, it, it ruins your your experience like and it reminds you or takes you back that's because that's trauma at the end of the day that's that's a traumatic experience and it's something that you're going to live with um forever now sort of thing and it's more painful that you went there with a love for the sport and that's been taken away from you as well so i can only apologize man that's 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 not that's not cool at all man was that your was that your first experience first and last so (sighs) is what it is anyway man moving on let's perk it up a little bit right Let's cool up a little bit with the first segment and my probably one of my favorites is called one word so for those of you that haven't heard we pick one word well the guest picks one word from their native language or one of their native languages and explains mm-hmm. it to us as to what it is so charles have you got one word for us today yeah i've got one word for you but um that's on some background first so there's loads of languages or slash tribes in in nigeria like i said earlier i'm from mm-hmm. europe i tried um so my words from there but um bit of sort of history for you um the sort of main language in Barbados is actually English so um I was going to cheat and just use an English word but <laughs> I, thought, I thought I'm not going to come on your podcast and and, and and do that so um the word that I picked um from Nigeria is a word called Oluwa. Oluwa. Yeah Oluwa. O-L-U-W-A. Oluwa. Okay. Yeah, and it's uh, the reason why I picked it is because um I'm, I'm a man that believes in sort of daily affirmations and just saying things that are gonna perk me up when I'm down. Um, I want I want to know if you can get you can guess what it it it, it means because I, I I always say every morning or when I'm a bit down that Oluwa is in control. So I wanted to know if you could. Oluwa is in control. It has yeah. to be God, right? Yeah, hundred percent God. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, Oluwa means God in Yoruba. In Yoruba. Yeah. Now that's beautiful, man. Thank you for sharing that. No, no worries, man. But yeah, a word that resonates a lot with me because, like I said, I, I say that term every day. I know you guys have something like Inshallah. Mm. Um, we have by the grace of God, but for me, I say Allah is in control because it means that every time I'm down or if I need God's help or guidance or something or if things aren't going right, I say to myself, Allah is in control. That reminds me that, yeah, sometimes things are, are going rubbish or not going too well, but it's in his hands at the end of the day. Do you know what I mean? If I, if I have faith and I believe, then there's nothing he can't do. Ah, that's beautiful, man. Um, so leading on from that, actually, so yes, you're a man of, you're a man of God. 
You're a man of Christianity. Yeah. Yep. So tell me about that. What was your what was your upbringing like in terms of that, or was it a thing later in life? <laughs> Talk to me about that. Um, that's a very very good question. You know, why you laughing? Why you laughing? Because <laughs> initially, the reason why I laugh is because I think a lot of Nigerians um, that listen to this listen to this will resonate with me. When it came to Christianity, mm. when I was growing up, I didn't have a choice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I literally did not have a choice. Um, our family, historically, Christians. Um, my mum's devout Christian. My grandma was a, was a pastor. Um, so, yeah, like, historically, just been in and around Christianity for a very, very, very long time. Uh, so I was brought up in it, um, grew up in it, um, loved it. I was proper in it, but... With me, like many other people that are probably similar to me or in my or similar shoes to me, when you when you get older, because it's been forced on you, you don't take in its importance or it's not yeah. as important to you. So, yeah, I could turn around and say I was a Christian, but was was I really a Christian? Probably not, because the things that I was doing weren't Christian-like, and I think that stemmed from the fact that it wasn't a, a choice mm-hmm. that I made. So. Yeah, I was calling myself Christian when I was younger. I was going to church every Sunday, but literally, the moment I stepped out of church, I was probably doing something stupid or doing something the opposite, the opposite to what a Christian does. And I'm not, I'm not saying all Christians have to be perfect, because do you know what I mean? Mm. No one of faith, no one of faith is perfect, perfect. But I was proactively just doing things that I knew were wrong. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as I got older, still being forced to church, still being forced to go to church. Then I started getting into sports, American football. Um, as you're probably aware, American football takes place on a Sunday, mm-hmm. and that was when I sort of really butt heads with my mum because she was like, "How can you not be going to church on a Sunday?" Mm-hmm. Um, but I was playing sports and I was playing at a, 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 a high level, so do you know what I mean. I think I think she eventually had to come to terms with the fact that it had to be my choice. Yeah. Um, as to what I do my Sundays, so yeah, I started to not go to church. Um. And then when I stopped going to church, I think for me, I, 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 weirdly enough, even though I was being forced, it felt like there was a hole, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It felt like, yeah, just felt like there was a gap in my life sort of thing. So, and for a long time, I didn't know what it was. For a long time, I didn't think it was church. I just thought, no, it's not that. I just didn't know what it was. I was playing sports, I was playing sports. And then there'll be times where, like, I'm, it's a big game has come up or I'm in uni and, and there's, there's exams coming up. And I'm praying and I'm thinking, oh, hold on, I'm, I'm praying, but I don't go to church. And mm. you know what I mean? That's it's not adding up. And then uh, one of the guys on my team one day, we never had a game on a Sunday, said, I'll oh, come down to this church in, in uni. So I went down and I don't know what it was. It must have been the spirit, but something just licked me. And I was like, yeah, like, <laughs> I'm back, man. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm back. I, I, was, I was really in the spirit. I re- really, really felt touched, really felt fulfilled mm. um, and I was just like yeah like this this, this I, I don't know what it was but I just knew like this was the sort of the gap that of that that was missing and this is not me trying to preach to everyone I feel like everyone needs to find their find their own legs and, and their own way and even after that my sort of final year of uni I used to do a lot of research because I had a lot of friends that had gone to prison or had um, converted from Christianity um, um, and became Muslims and I used to do a lot of research just to, to think why do people do that or like is what I'm doing is it the right religion sort of thing and mm-hmm. from my finding I found that God is God sort of thing mm-hmm. um, a lot of it for me is tradition so the reason why people are Muslim or Christians or um, any other religion that sort of still praises God 
is is down to their, their traditions and being in different parts of the world sort of thing. So I'd never turn around and say someone else's religion is wrong because they're still praising and, and, and looking up to, 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 to God, in my mm-hmm. opinion. And in my eyes, I'd like to believe it's the, the same God, just that different, everyone's story and perceptions of, of their religious book, i.e. The, the Bible for Christians, is told in different ways, if that makes yeah. sense. So yeah, yeah. That's, that's what I found That's what I found from my findings. And someone could tell me I'm wrong, but that's what I, I believe and that's, that, that's how I told and that's how I'll never turn around and tell, tell a Muslim, no, you're wrong, you, you, you must turn to Christianity. And that's why I, I sort of feel a way when I've, I've been approached by Muslims that have said, no, Christianity is wrong, you shouldn't be a Christian, you should convert them to being a Muslim. And I'm like, mm, well, why? A lot of people couldn't tell me the why, so I was like, you know, I'm gonna do my own sort of readings, and no one can, no one can shun any on anyone else's religion as long as one for me, it's all in your heart mm-hmm. and your morals. If your heart and your morals are in the right place, and and you're praising praising God, then do you know what I mean? Everyone, everyone should be able to do what they want to do. So yeah, definitely. That's just my 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 two, my two pence on that one. Now that's um that's really interesting. So like, do you find um that now so. so that you're publicly Christian, for example, not publicly as in mm-hmm. like you're preaching, but publicly as in, you know, you're, you're proud to say to people, you don't withhold that information. Do you yeah. find that you have more, um, I guess, like a, almost like a responsibility that you have to be a good, like a moral in quote marks person because you're like a Christian, because you're a practicing Christian. Do you find that or not? Um, like you're held to a higher standard, basically. Yeah. I, I, that's a tough one. Um, I did that first. Mm-hmm. I did that first. I used to always think that um, around my friends, I need to be proactively um, evangelizing and, and making sure we're always doing the right things and, you know what I mean, stopping bad things when I see it. And I can't say bad things. I can't swear. I can't do X, Y, and Z simply because people know I'm Christian and they're going to hold me to a high regard. And then I got a little bit older and I was like, nah, it's not my responsibility to do any mm-hmm. of those things. Sometimes it is. So in, in my inner circle, yeah. I might be like, yeah, guys, come on, that, that's wrong, etc. But do you know what I mean? Some people are called to do different things. And there's some people in this world that are called to literally evangelize to, to everyone. And there's some people that are, do you know what I mean, meant to do it in, in, in other ways. So i.e. I play American football, if I can sort of play a gospel track in, 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 our, in our locker room, or if I can talk to someone, one of my teammates about, do you know what I mean? coming to church on a Sunday that might be my way of doing it but mm-hmm. I don't I don't I don't feel no pressures and I don't feel no pressure because people get things wrong people make mistakes do you know what I mean like I yeah. stopped swearing but there was a point in time where swearing was do you know what I mean <laughs> literally part of my vocabulary but mm-hmm. um I, I, if someone was to turn and be like oh you're not a Christian because you swear too much I would have just laughed at them in their face so yeah a, a long time ago I felt the pressures but right now I don't I, I, I really don't the only person that again the only person in this world that can judge me is God. Um, mm-hmm. As long as I feel like my heart is in the right place, then I'm going to continue to act and behave the way I want to act and behave. Nah, that's um, that's that's the right way to think about it, man. To be honest, because the way I the way I see it is very much the mm-hmm. same in that you know we all we're all going to make mistakes. There's all like a journey for everyone. But um, yeah. I guess what led me to the question was that me personally, being a Muslim, especially a British Muslim, and I can't emphasize the British part enough here is Mm -hmm. how many times I've met people that don't know much about Islam or like may have like a Muslim friend or had a Muslim friend once. And the Mm -hmm. most common thing I hear is like, for example, oh, I had a mate who was Muslim. Yeah. But he wasn't a good one. And I I used to be like, oh, what does that mean? Oh, you know, like he drinks and that and he doesn't pray. Or like Ramadan will come. And like for me, you know, this is the most spiritual time of the year. And 
they would be like, oh, but he didn't, you know, um, my mate didn't used to fast and stuff. And so he wasn't, he wasn't a good Muslim. And I always, yeah. I always, always like used to think, you know, like, why is it that we as Muslims are held to such a high standard um, in society? And it's like, everyone has to know us by that yeah. trait or those traits. Yeah. And yeah. like, even for me, like praying in the office, like if someone didn't pray in the office that was Muslim, people be like, oh, but he doesn't pray or she doesn't pray. And I used yeah. to be like, well, that's their own journey, man. Like you can't, you can't stick your standards or your perceived standards of what a Muslim in society should be on them. That's not fair. And mm-hmm. I always felt like not a pressure from them, but I felt like, you know, I needed to maintain from all Muslims out there that we're very normal people. We are very normal. We have jokes. We enjoy the same things as everyone else. Um, yeah. But we just, we pray five times a day and, you know, we fast for one month of the year. Like it's mm-hmm. not, outrageous things that we do um and you know part of it must be the media and stuff but i felt like you know we're always held to a a standard whereby if we're slipping the public everyone has to know that we're slipping um yeah yeah man well i'm i couldn't agree with you more it's 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 really tough especially um for muslims because yeah i feel like there's there's such a high standard that you guys guys are held to but it's a weird one because I, I, again, I go back to the fact that okay, you guys fast one month in a year, but so do Christians. Like we fast and we pray many times as well. Maybe because we're not as public as as you guys, but again, it's so weird to be like, oh yeah, but like that that Muslim guy drinks or he smokes. So do Christians as well. So I don't know why people like to set, like you said, their own personal morals and standards and use that as the yardstick to judge everyone else like mm. you said so, so perfectly everyone's got their own journeys everyone's got their own understandings of, of the religious book so some people might in, into, interpret that, um, where alcohol is mentioned in the bible as you can drink but you can't get drunk and some people might interpret it as well people in the bible getting drunk so do you know what i mean like mm. there's, there's there's no one shoe fits all thing especially that is the way i see it anyway so you can never tell someone how to how to carry out their journey and how to understand what they've read um, in their own way unless in my opinion it's for, for, for bad which we know that the religious books don't teach so like I said earlier it, for me personally it all comes down to to their morals and and their heart so as long as I believe my heart is pure no one can tell me otherwise I couldn't care less what um, the person next door says about my levels of Christianity because he's seeing me going out on a night out for example mm. I, I couldn't care less honestly no I hear that bro more power to you man Thank you very much, brother. So um, one thing I wanted to talk about with you um, and with you specifically, um, mm-hmm. because we've, we've had our own kind of discussions about this in the past, um, yeah. is racism mm-hmm. and the impacts, the effects. Um, and I know we touched on it like earlier, briefly with the police situation and stuff, yeah. but specifically in terms of the color of your skin mm-hmm. um, growing up in the UK and also as an adult facing that, in different ways so not just directly via slurs but like in other ways through you know your journey whether it's through sport whether it's through employment you know mm-hmm. what was that like for you transitioning into adulthood and reaching that kind of understanding that actually it's different being black um good question um i think the transition was tough for me because um, like I said, I grew up um, in a place where I was very diverse and yeah, um, once in a while you'd be racially profiled or mm-hmm. have racist, racist slurs um, thrown at us. But because the, it, was, it was so diverse, for me personally, it 
felt normal, if that made sense. So, like, being not being selected first because of the colour of my skin or being stopped and searched or being harassed or abused became became normal because it was semi-part of, of everyday life. Mm-hmm. Um, then I went to uni, um, and I went to a uni up north, um, okay. historically known for... for, for um, being racist um and literally i'd be on my way to the library sometimes and guys would drive past and scream the n-word at me but again where i came wow. from it, 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 it felt normal um and then i finished university i just used to think yeah that there, there, people are racist but I, I don't know if it's my heart i just used to think people are racist but not everyone's racist sort of thing this this country can't be racist and then i started getting older um went into employment mm-hmm. um and I think the triggering point for me was being in being in employment and realizing I'm one of maybe three or four black people in a company of 150 odd people. And I think, okay, then weird, but mm. we, we move things like that can be ignored. And then little things start happening where you're hearing the little comments and then you're getting overlooked for potential roles, opportunities. And every single time you're overlooked, it's for the same sort of excuses poor excuses and then the only thing after a while you begin to think is the difference between you and the people that are actually being chosen for roles and opportunities is the color of your skin and that's when it started triggering me i didn't for me i was a sort of late bloomer i knew about skin and race but i didn't realize how deeply engrossed it was in our society until i got to the working um world um and yeah, again, I've I've never been in a, in a job as long as I have now, and I think I'm well within my rights to now be able to comment and see that there are little things that happen, whether consciously or unconsciously, that happen whereby people of my skin mm-hmm. and ethnicity are definitely treated different differently. Um, and when I say treated differently, I don't I, I mean in in a, in a lesser manner. Um, to the point where obviously we had this conversation and obviously I don't want to put um, our, our workplace on blast, but we had this conversation recently whereby mm-hmm. what had happened in the States had happened in the States with a, with a young man being choked by, by the police. And we're seeing large organisations, small organisations, medium-sized organisations come out and proactively um, share their stance on, on the matters that are happening in the world. And I remember um, a week and a half later, I sit, sitting at my desk and speaking to my other half and speaking to my friends. So one of my friends is a um, ethnicity and diversity officer. He works at university. Right. And I was on the phone to him for about three hours and saying, what do I do? Like, I can't work in a place whereby it seems and feels like no one wants to make that jump and, and protect me and my colleagues. And he was like, challenge it. And I was like, but is it my job to challenge it? Mm-hmm. I'm seeing literally every other business in the world that I, that I know of anyway, that I can see with my own two eyes coming out and practically doing something obviously i don't know if everyone's done it but the ones that i can see are doing something about it mm-hmm. and then i'm asking my other friends have your company said something yeah have you has your company said something yeah has your company said something in fact we've got um courses about training our, our, our um the members of staff on things like this and i'm thinking damn like two weeks later nothing's been said so i drafted it i drafted up this email and i was like i'm sitting on it it's in my draft i'm thinking do i send it do i not send it and I was like, cool, I'll send it. And I, f- I think for me, it was not just that, it was five years worth of B 
being frustrated with mm. little things that have been happening in, in, in the workplace. Um, so I sent it um, to the MD, HR, got some responses back, got a company-wide email, was briefly mentioned in a, in a company, company meeting. But the thing for me that hurts the most mm. is the things that were promised or suggested would happen or change. We are now in January, so we're easily about three or four months since that that conversation. I'd, I'd, I'd say, sad. Yeah. Um, and nothing. Mm. Not even it, not not nothing. Nothing's changed. Nothing's been in, installed. Nothing's been done. And the reason why I say this now is because it sort of um, reassures is the is the wrong word, but yeah, sort of reassures the point that I mentioned earlier of me noticing things over the last five years mm. and essentially this being like a mini test and it wasn't my plan to test them but that's it's, it's what it's, it's come to be it seems like it's a mini test as to or a mini challenge to you guys as to say this is how I'm feeling this is how some of my colleagues are feeling after that email's gone gone round a lot of my black and ethnic minority colleagues have reached out to me and said Charles like thank you very much for doing that these are the, some of the things that I've, I've I've been through. I've shared some of those stories with you, and nothing's still been put in place. And it's like, whoa! Like, I've literally like pulled pulled out like tears and mm. and, and and shared my, my pain, and not just my pain, but the pain and the burden I've had to carry for some of my colleagues to you guys. And something as small as doing a course or preparing a course whereby new starters and even current employees can go through ethnic. Um, equality and diversity training just so people mm-hmm. know how to speak to their colleagues and even even clients that we work with on a day-to-day basis like they know how to do those things hasn't hasn't been in that input and it's like whoa like nah like for me you guys have really shown your hand and like I said it, it really makes me feel like my belief of the working environment not being as as equal and as fair as I thought it was when 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 I was sort of year one, year two into working at my current workplace is, is, is like that. And then again, speaking to friends and family and just letting them know exactly what I've just told you now. And yeah. the response being like, are you surprised? Like, Jay, like, are you really surprised, Jay? And I'm like, well, like, when you put it like that, can I be surprised when nothing was said in the first place? So, yeah, yeah well, I know, I know, I know. I went a little bit deep on that one. But for me, as much as people want to say, right, that, that like there's no such thing as racism, racism's dead or... It's only certain people, certain individuals. I don't think people realize how institutionalized it is mm-hmm. until I share stories like that. Mm-hmm. Because I shouldn't be able to challenge you to do something and for you to completely not even do it at all. And then have such a, like a, a in quote marks, passionate response initially yeah. and then to follow yeah. up with nothing. Yeah. Mm, I hear your pain, bro. I do. Yeah. So my question from that is, do you think, the UK is more racist now than it was when you were growing up. No, um, like I said earlier, I just don't think I realised how racist it was. How racist it was when I was growing up. Mm. Um, and I was listening to, um, I was listening to your first episode with, with um, David, um, and I think he summed it up brilliantly. Whereby, um, no, sorry, you summed it up brilliantly. Whereby, oh, thank little, you very much. Yeah, your little brother didn't realize color until he was he was about seven, and I think he's real. He realized that a little bit earlier, but I think a lot of us were um, we were brought up in sort of um, 
single ethnicity, mm-hmm. ethnicity homes, realised a little bit later. So yeah, again, a lot of us don't see colour and, and, until until late, and I think that's that's where it is. And then on top of not seeing colour, we're very naive to it. We think, okay, we're a little bit different to to the, to those guys, but we're still humans. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. we're, 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 like I said earlier, we're brought up in morals, so no colour or not, nobody's beneath us, sort of thing. Like we, we respect everyone and we try our best not to to be little people. Yeah, do you know what I mean? We we we, we make mistakes. Everybody does, but I don't think as a ethnic minority we proactively try our best to suppress people from other races and um growing up I didn't feel like anyone else was trying to do it to me because that's just how I was sort of thing mm. but then it gets to a, a point where you realize actually hold on all of these things that have happened to me like there were there were times another story when um I used to play fo- um, football at, at a high level and my mum would come and and take me to my game sometimes and there'll be things that like sly comments people made or there'll be clicks and little things like that and it's not until I was like 18 19 I'm like actually hold on when I think back at it that was that was so bad like mm-hmm. what was said then was terrible or me being alienated from that crew was was bad or like my friends being told that they stink or like or food being like do you know I remember being in the RV class yeah one of my Asian friends yeah we're all all talking blah 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 right, 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 and obviously there's this running joke of you know Asians cook a lot blah 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 clothes smelling of food and stuff and, <laughs> just yeah, say it bro but, say it just say it we smell <laughs> of curry <isn't> it? <laughs> I don't, don't want to be the one to say it but yeah but um, this guy was in our class one time and he didn't actually even smell but everyone was just trying to make running jokes and um, someone someone said it to him and he genuinely to be honest the guy genuinely didn't smell but someone said it to ah how come all your people always smell of like curry and that and like his face changed. He went from being banter and like everyone joking around to him looking like he was genuinely hurt. And it's just like, whoa, like people don't realize um, how racist this, in my opinion, this country is and, until they start getting older. So, yeah, it's, it's crazy. And at the time, it, it, like he, he must have thought, oh, like that, that's terrible. But everyone is laughing, laughing, laughing. But again, you get older and you look back at that moment. And for me, I remember that moment because I remember his face and I stopped laughing. But mm. I didn't realize why I stopped laughing. I just thought like maybe it was close to home. But as you get older, you think actually it's like, I stopped laughing and he stopped laughing because it's a it's a profile against him sort of thing. So yeah, I don't think the the country I don't think the country's less racist. In my opinion, I think they've shown their hand to be more mm. based on actions, but I think all of those feelings that we're seeing now have been suppressed um whilst I was growing up. So yeah. I definitely I definitely think that I don't think it's any more or any less. I just think like they're they're showing their hand a little bit more. No, uh, yeah, I um, I agree with you, man. I think it's it's a tough one to talk about because you go through waves almost in your life where you have a like a long period of time where nothing will happen, and mm-hmm. you think you know ah oh, things are good. Like oh, I might have just got promoted or I might have got a new job and I'm settling in really well, and then you get hit with something and you're like no, nah. like my Wimbledon thing. I was in a great time yeah. of my life at that point, and that one mm-hmm. hit me like a ton of bricks, and then like you know a year will go by and you're like this is cool and then again and again and i think yeah and i think with the rise of social media and it, um i discussed it in previous episodes it's it's opened up the the channeling for people to to be outward about how they feel about this kind of thing now so mm-hmm. we're very much in a in a sticky situation now where you know like for me things like um in football in the premier league right they they take the knee before the game mm-hmm and they they have the little silent moment and they start the game right at one point that meant something yeah because 
everyone was talking about it and it was relevant, right? Yeah. And now they're just doing the knee and the commentators don't say anything. Yep. Yep. Thank you very much. The, the, you know, the, well, the fans are the fans are not in the stadiums, but the commentators don't say anything, and then the game kind of just starts, and it's like, okay, well, why did you even do that if you're not even going to make a point about why we're yeah. why we're here today doing what we're doing? Mm-hmm. So yeah, they even skip it sometimes in the highlights. Yeah, they it do. Should be, should be one of the first things that think first things they do. I'm, I'm not even sure if you even heard the news that came out this week. Um, the guy that racially abused Ian White in his DMs. Um, I think it went to court or something like that. Um, and the court said um, they're letting him off, no fine, no nothing, it's because he was naive and Im- immature. And wow. then Ian Wright came out saying, it's, it's disgusting that you guys can, <laughs> regardless of his age, put the fact that he was racist down to immaturity and, and being naive. And I think that just shows firsthand um, the state of play that this nation's currently in because that, that's just disgusting. Yeah, that's the legal system as well, man. So if it's yeah. there, then you know what I mean? Yeah, but if, if that's a legal system, then you're basically telling everyone that's 13 or below that they're allowed to absolutely go do what they want on social media and, and abuse anyone that doesn't look like them. It's disgusting. That's what I mean. It's, it's very much systematic at that point. You know, we yeah. spoke about police. That's the legal system there. And, you know, um, employment very much so across the board. Um, yeah. People aren't having diversity training and that sort of stuff. And even if they did have the diversity training, I still think people are going to be there and have their own their own views and their own kind of um, outlook. I I agree, but even if we can educate one person, and I'm not saying it's our job to educate people, but if we can educate one person from that sort of equality and diversity training, or if we can open up someone else's minds from things like that, then this is true. You, you, you've, you've you've made one step in the right direction. You know what I mean? But this the fact true. that I've openly had that conversation with you as to this is what we should be doing and nothing's been done about it tells me that you just don't care as much as you said you did anyway. So, so um, I want to talk about a bit that always brings out the laughs and uh, always lightens the mood because I think like, we went a bit deep there. And uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's a fun one for me because um, I always learn new things in this segment and um, mm-hmm. it's just, you know, it's a bit of a laugh. So stereotypes. Yes. Everyone has something everyone has something and <laughs> some of them some of them are wild and some of them are reckless but some of them man they can never be more accurate so is there any and i know you've got your two you got your nice little mixed race platter there you got your little mm-hmm. Asian and you got your little nigerian so tell me mm. if there's if there's any stereotypes that are associated to either or both or neither you tell me about them what are they are they true um i'm gonna keep the Bayesian one Till last because I think it'll be a nice little segue into something that I do, I do want to discuss. Okay. Like the Nigerian one. The Nigerian one is true for some, extremely false for others. But <laughs> one thing we get, especially as men, is being a Yoruba demon. And what a Yoruba demon is, is someone that <laughs> is, <laughs> they basically say he's put on his world to ruin the lives of women. So he's. <laughs> <laughs> well that's he, savage bro yeah he's a player he's a cheat he's a scumbag oh. he's a sugar daddy he's all of the negative words you can connotate to um, a guy not being faithful to his wife so um a robot demon a robot demon yeah i remember being in university when the term first came out and honestly there was a phase where if i told anyone i was nigerian or Yoruba. 
a lady that is, they would not even speak to me. <laughs> they would not even give me the time of day because they just thought you're just here to ruin my life. You're not a serious guy. Um, you're just gonna cheat. You're just gonna, do you know what I mean, ruin my life and and break my heart and stuff. So that's why I say it's mm-hmm. true for some and completely the opposite <laughs> for others because. I'm a firm believer sometimes these things don't come from nowhere. I've even watched movies and I've seen the way they portray some of our Nigerian men in the movies and they are truly, truly disgusting. Having wives in different parts of the world, different phones for different wives, um, children by all of these same wives and stuff. Um, There are even stories about people um, getting a flight to America and then giving American women to to wife them for, for a green card and then, yeah, like, that's about it. There was there was there were people that have there was a story of a guy that had a business basically. He mm. um fly you out, um you get married to to a woman with a green card. Wow. Um if you have children with her, they're better. Um but if you divorce <laughs> if you if you divorce her, obviously you get some of her money and then you give the, the guy that got you to to America some of that some of that money because obviously now you're a citizen of America and you've got um, a green card and some of her money off from the divorce. So yeah, it's it's disgusting, but yeah, but um, yeah, no, I'm not to not to try and frighten anyone that's <laughs> that, that's currently dating a Nigerian guy. Hey, I think check for your Yoruba demons, girls. Yeah, <laughs> I think the ones in the UK are, are okay. It's, it's the ones, it's the ones that you're, you're talking to on on Tinder from Nigeria that you might want to be careful of because yeah, they've they've got they've got they've definitely got history. But again, it's either very true or very very false. So me personally. I'm 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 the furthest thing from I'm, yeah, I'm happy to hear it. Humble, bro. humble student of the Lord that knows how to treat a woman right. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, and the Bayesian side, mm-hmm. the stereotype is Bayesian people, especially the men. I'm gonna keep it men. Bayesian men know how to throw it down in the kitchen. So. Okay. My pops, yeah. My oh man. So I'm lucky. I get best of both worlds because I love African cuisine. I love Caribbean cuisine, but um. Caribbean cuisine, especially because you can't get everywhere in the UK and get done right. Mm-hmm. Whereas Nigerians are really, there's some really good Nigerian restaurants. There's not as many um, decent Caribbean restaurants. So um, my pops, when he when he when he throws it down in the kitchen, he really throws it down. I don't think there's a dish that he doesn't know how to do. Wow. And then even even the Nigerian side, like Nigerian Nigerian stuff, like sometimes like you go in the kitchen and be like, tell my mommy, go put your feet up and she might be craving an idea Nigerian dish and he throws down the Nigerian dishes as well. So wow. uh, these Bayesian men, they really know what they're doing in the kitchen. Um, and, I, and I definitely think I've taken that, that aspect as well. So I think that, that, that gene is in my, is in my blood because me, when I, when I'm in that kitchen, yeah, and I've got my apron on, goes down, man. Master chef. Yeah. Listen, if I was to go on master chef or bake, bake off all of them shows, I'd, I'd, I'd definitely come out, come out with that easily. It's the flavors. It's the flavors, okay. man. Okay, Gordon Salenke. Hey, listen, I, I I talk Gordon where you know everything he knows, mate. <laughs> Do you know what? That leads me perfectly onto the food segment, man. <laughs> That's what I was saying. I'll leave the Bayesian to last. There we go. I definitely, no one needs to talk about food. Oh, uh, mate. You know, tell me about this. Tell me about this. So I want to get down on both sides. Tell me. Yeah. You know what? Let's go Bayesian first. What's Caribbean food like? Because me, I'll be real. <sighs> I've never had Caribbean food before. I'm sorry. Have you not? Next time. When when this is all over, I will get some Caribbean food. There's a, there's a really nice one in Enfield. So, yeah, hundred. Um, Tell me about it. What is it? Um, Caribbean food. Well, let's, uh, let me let me stay with Bayesian because Caribbean food is what is there's lot there's loads. So I don't wanna miss out any. But Bayesian food, 
Um, if you want, if you go to Barbados, mm. you, you can't go to Barbados and come back without having seafood, man. Like mm. but Barbados food, oh, Barbadians, we love our seafood, man. And me personally, I love, I love seafood from fish to crab, lobster. Oh, mwah, love, love, love a lobster. <laughs> um, prawns, you name it, they they can do it. And a lot of it is very hearty as well and very mm. healthy. So they don't believe in frying stuff or or covering things in in oil. Um, they 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 grill things a lot, and a lot of it is barbecue as well. So. Oof. Um, I'd, I'd I'd say they 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 that's where that's where they excel. Rice and peas can't go wrong with a rice and peas. Mm-hmm. There's I think we have called pumpkin soup as well. Brilliant, oh, pumpkin soup is lovely. Um, and the rest of it is just normal Caribbean meat. So the oxtails, the curry goats, the the jerk chicken stuff. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Caribbean Caribbean food is very very vibrant. It's food for the heart. Um, very flavoursome. I think I can go as far as saying that Caribbean food is more flavoursome than. Than African food, um, in my opinion. Ooh, controversy um, up in here. Yeah, yeah, I, I'd go as far as saying that, and I'd also say that um, Caribbean food, there's more, there's more in terms of a starter and a dessert, whereas African food, every everything can be a, a main. Whereas <laughs> food, you, you get your soups, um, you get a, a various number of soups, and then you get your dumplings as well, and you get patties. I guess there's meat pies and in Africa as well but yeah Caribbean food you can really separate the starters and and the desserts and Caribbeans they love a drink man especially in Barbados they do love a drink as well but yeah that, that that's my summary of, of Caribbean food and to be fair I can make it all the, the, from the mac yeah. and cheeses to yeah the mac and cheeses to the jerk chickens the curry goats the oxtails I, I can make it all especially where my pops loves to cook as well so yeah man I'm waiting for that invite around the Selenke household you know yeah, man, soon come, man. I want that. I want. I want that oxtail. I want that. I want that lobster. You know what I'm saying? My oh, mouth is watering, bro. I haven't have, had dinner. I have lobster and oxtail in, in, in the same meal, mate. Yeah, we're having a starter with the lobster. You know what I'm saying? We're I moving can make, on. I can make it. Yeah, I can make a, 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 nice, a nice little lobster mac and cheese. Ooh, okay. But you've never had that before. Listen, listen. I can't listen. When it, when it comes to me in the Ooh, kitchen, my yeah. mouth is watering. Game changer. <laughs> Game changer. Um. So yeah, that's the Caribbean side, the African side. Nigeria, Nigeria, hands down, has probably got the best food in the whole of Africa. Um, and you're probably going to ask Ooh, me about mad. who's got the best the, controversy the best up in here. here. Yes, hundred yeah, percent. Who has the best jollof rice? Because my Ghanaian <laughs> brothers, my Ghanaian brothers, stand by it, and they say there is no way that Nigerian jollof is better. But you know, you know why their rice can't be better, yeah. <laughs> Cool. Because they, they, you know, when you have jollof rice, yeah, it's mm. it's basically like a a rice and stew mixture. So the rice becomes like part of the stew is infused. Mm. You just when Ghanaians make their jollof rice, they still need to add stew on top of the jollof rice, <laughs> so it, it can't be complete. You know what I mean? Whereas Nigerian jollof rice, you can have it on its own. I promise you not. If my mum makes jollof rice, there was one time she made it in the, in the office. Sadly, you weren't around, but she made jollof rice in the office, and I, I remember a lot of people saying, "Oh, what type of rice is this?" Everyone thought, oh, I'll take a taste. They took a teaspoon, you know, as they do, take a teaspoon, have a taste. And I promise you, yeah, like, there, there, was, there, was, a, there was a party on the, on the taste buds. Everyone started bringing out big bowls and big plates. There was one member of staff that found Tupperware from somewhere, filled up all about three, three Tupperware boxes, made sure she took that home as well. Until this day, she messages me sometimes saying, when's your mum next making some jello for us? And they support an order. And so, yeah, when you can have jello for us by itself, you know, mm. it's, it's complete. Bearing in mind, my mum my my made chicken that day as well. So, yeah, I think we fed the office that day, which really went, really went down the yeah, street. Okay. But, um, so yeah, Nigerian. So, Nigerian rice, jollof rice, is better than Ghanaian? Yeah. 
So what you're saying is Ghanaian jollof rice is dry? No, it's nice. But it's dry? No, it's nice. It's nice. It's nice. Oh, right. Don't, don't have these Ghanaians coming after me, you know. I'm going to make sure I get a Ghanaian next. Both, there's one in particular that we both know that was going to come and try and fight me. So, yeah, I haven't got time for him. All right. Um, so the, the ultimatum, right, is mm-hmm. if you had to pick one, Bayesian or Nigerian cuisine. Oh, that's you had, not fair. You had to. You had to. Which one are you going for? Ooh, that's not fair. Uh, you know, oh, I'm going to have to go with... Oh, this is tough. I'm going to have to go with Caribbean, only because mm-hmm. only because Nigerians don't do a lot of seafood, and seafood is one of my, my favourite um, dishes. So, yeah. I respect it's that. I respect that. To be honest, based on how you described uh, Caribbean food, I would have said Caribbean food too. But yeah, but if Caribbeans didn't have the the seafood, I'd have gone Nigerian one hundred percent because there's a lot more, in my opinion, more variety in Nigerian food. But it's just the seafood that does it for me, man. I love seafood. I love I love fish and love lobster. I love prawns. I love seafood, man. I hear that, bro. I hear I'm that. Seafood. Well, this weekend now, talking all about this seafood. <laughs> From my brother Jay, listen, man, it's been a pleasure to have you on this podcast. Um, Bro, I've rambled, I've spoke, I've got it's got deep, we've laughed, but thank you very much for the invite, man. I've really enjoyed myself, man. And if you ever need me to come on again, because I feel like we haven't even touched the surface, so if you ever need me to come on again, just just give me a shout. Oh, 100%. You know what I'm going to do, yeah? I'm going to bring a Ghanaian on, and then I'm going to have you back, <laughs> and then I'm going to just have you scrap it out, just basically just watch you two go on about, because, uh, nah, it's been a pleasure, bro, and it's always my honour, because... You know, I'll always remember you helped me set this up and really helped me get this off the ground. And it is always a pleasure to talk to you, bro. So thank you very much. And uh, and make sure you listen to this episode, Jay. Yeah, because I know what you're like. <laughs> I know what you're like. <laughs> uh, you know, I need to listen to episode two first. See, was that with Surin? Samir. Samir, sorry. Sorry, Samir. <laughs> but yeah, I need to listen to Samir's episode first. I need to, yeah, I need to listen to that and then I'll listen to mine. So... Yeah, man, I feel like mine's gonna be like a bloody trilogy. How much I've, I've spoken, but again, I'm I'm really proud of you. I'm happy um, with what you're doing. Um, I think you're going to really educate a lot of people with what you're doing. I really hope people from different backgrounds and experiences and walks in life really engage with you and and come on come on your show because I'm really interested to learn from others. And I think that was one of the biggest things I try to do when coming on here is to educate. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I was worried about talking about the bits about work, but it's my truth and it's my reality. So I guess it is what it is. But again, I'm proud of you, brother. And um, yeah, man, I'm looking forward to listening to more. Thank you, man. So guys, thank you. This is another episode of Made in Mercers. Um, keep supporting, keep following. Please give me some feedback as well if you're you know if you're enjoying the episodes. If you're not enjoying the episodes, what can I change? And you know, if you've got a funky ethnicity you want to talk about or someone that you know that does, tell them to reach out. I'll be happy to have them on the on the show and uh, and talk to them about it. But um, thank you very much, guys. I've got, I've got some feedback, mate. Go on. Uh, they said they want Jason Lenko back. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right. I'll catch you on the next one. Peace out. Peace.